you. Would you pray with me tonight as we begin? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time once again to be in your word, to open your word together, to study, to be challenged by what we hear, to be encouraged in these things, and to know that you are indeed who you say you are. So Lord, we ask for your attendance to our time, and we thank you ahead of time for what we will learn so that we might be children that honor you by what we do and what we say. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, if you're not there already, take your Bibles and open them with me to John chapter 19. John chapter 19, as we focus our attention once again on the trial of Jesus Christ. Uh, Tonight, we're going to be focusing our attention on verses 8 through 11. And so I want to begin our time tonight just by reading Uh, these verses for us. And I want to begin from verse 1, just so that we are reminded again of the complete flow of what is happening here. John says to us, Then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers wove a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. And they began to come up to him and say, Hail, King of the Jews, and to give him blows in the face. Pilate came out again and said to them, Behold, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. Jesus therefore came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. When therefore the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out saying, Crucify, crucify. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him for I find no guilt in him. Jesus answered him, or the Jews answered him, We have a law, and by that law he ought to die, because he made himself out to be the Son of God. When Pilate therefore heard this statement, he was more afraid. And he entered into the praetorium again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? Jesus gave him no answer. Pilate therefore said to him, You do not speak to me? Do you not know that I have the authority to release you and I have authority to crucify you? Jesus answered, You would have no authority over me unless it had been given you from above. For this reason, he who delivered me up to you has the greater sin. Over the past several weeks, we have been attempting to look into the trial of Jesus Christ from several different angles. We began our time by looking at it from the perspective of the law during the Jewish portion of the trial. Jesus being tried under the Jewish law, under the accusations that the Jews had brought before him, all trumped up charges, all illegally handled, all not according to the Jewish law. In fact, We know as we studied that, that Jesus should have been acquitted according to any Jewish trial because to find anyone guilty of the death penalty was in fact one of the hardest, if not the hardest thing for them to do. We also have looked at this trial from the Roman side or the Roman portion of the law and what took place through that. And of course, The Jews had to bring Jesus to the Romans so that they could accomplish what their evil heart was set out to do. Last Lord's Day, we looked at it from the perspective of us, 
The perspective of us looking at the trial, the perspective of us watching the trial unfold, sitting and listening to all that has gone on in this case. And we were faced with determining the verdict concerning the accusation against Jesus Christ that was stated in verse 7. He made himself out to be the Son of God. That was the real charge against Jesus Christ. That was the charge of blasphemy that the Jews brought before Pilate. Pilate would never have cared about any of that. He didn't even care about that at all other than the fact that they used the term son of God, which as we can see in our text tonight even caused him to be more afraid. This is he and what he has claimed himself to be, they said, and that for which he is being accused. And we were reminded as the jury to make a decision. And the decision we would make would not have an impact upon the one who was under the trial, i.e. in our courts, like the jury makes decisions today, and the life of the one who is being tried is either changed forever in a drastic way by way of jail time or even a death penalty, or he goes free. But the decision we make about Christ has an eternal impact upon us. It will either cause you to have eternal life depending on what you believe about the Son of God or you will continue on the road to eternal destruction. And we have looked at this section in that way for the same reason that we've been looking at every section throughout the Gospel of John. We've been looking at that so that we might do exactly what John hopes we would do when we look to Jesus Christ, that we would see Him to be who he says he is, the son of the living God, that we would believe in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, and that by believing in him, we would have life in his name. Now, we have to remember in saying that, that believe or belief is not simply an intellectual activity, right? Belief begins with our intellect. We have to see it. We have to think about it. We have to address the information in our intellect, but true biblical belief, belief as John describes it in the Gospel of John, is seen in action. It isn't simply intellect. It isn't simply facts that we address and embrace. It is a a belief that shows itself in action. It's seen in living according to the information that we have heard and we say we embrace. So what we are hearing of Jesus Christ is not just information about Jesus Christ that is to be stored in our intellect. What we are hearing about Jesus Christ in these final chapters, along with all the chapters that have come before, is information that is to be reflected in how we live. If we are actually believing in Him, it should affect how we live. And that is imperative then that we ask the question, so what? So what does this have to do with? with me. And tonight it's going to be no different really by way of our intent. And the very reason that John includes this account in his gospel is the very reason that he's been including all along. Jesus is shown to be the Christ. He is shown to be God in the flesh by how he responds to those whom his father has placed over him here on this earth. How Jesus Christ, God incarnate, responds to those whom God the Father has placed over him on this earth. And by that, he not only shows his deity, but he also shows 
to be the perfect example for how we, his followers, are to respond to those in place over us. This is an issue then in this section tonight about authority. It really probably comes as no surprise to any of us here tonight as we look and live in our day and age, especially here in Western world, the Western world where we would be considered to live in the most modern country in the world, there is an aversion to any kind of authority. In our day and age, no one likes authority. Deep within the heart of sinful man is the hatred for any kind of rule over us. And the human heart is bent toward the corruption of authoritative power. That's what it's bent toward. If it has any kind of authority, it will in and of itself corrupt it. The age-old adage is prevalent. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. And we resonate with that adage in our minds, but that adage is not actually true. Because what corrupts is not power. The adage says that absolute power corrupts absolutely, but it is not power that corrupts. What corrupts is the sin that takes that power and uses it corruptly. We've seen this throughout our own history in our own country, and we are seeing it on display in various ways even in our own day and age. The corrupt use of power to gain personal advantage and to oppress others. Now, the collective response to those kinds of things can vary. And even in the Christian community, there are many who call for actions that are questionable at best in response to power that is being used in a corrupt way. When it comes to our response to corruption or potential corruption within power, And when anyone asks us what our response is to be as a Christian to those who are in authority and they are corrupt, the usual answer that is given is something akin to what Jesus said in the New Testament in Matthew chapter 22. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. We know what is happening in Matthew chapter 22. The Jewish leaders are questioning Jesus about whether it's right for them to pay taxes to Caesar or not. They're trying to trap Jesus with this question of human ethics as a Christian under an oppressive government. In other words, should we comply with the authority over us or not? That's the idea. That's the question being asked. And of course, Jesus gives the standard and practical answer. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. And that seems rather clear to us, at least in our own minds. The governing authorities, whoever that may be, have the right to exact taxes for the upkeep of the society, the upkeep of the country. And so we, even today, pay tax. We may not agree with the dynamics of all that is being taxed or the percentage of all that is being taxed. We may not agree with that, but we pay And it is right for us as Christians to do so. And of course, there are other places in Scripture that we get more specific guidelines as to how to live under the governing authorities of the day. And we will be studying those here in the nearest future in our study of Romans. Romans chapter 13 gets into several areas in which we are to 
see those in governing authorities and how we are to respond to that. First Timothy 3 tells us how we are to respond to the governing authorities, especially those of a corrupt nature like the people in Peter's day were living under. And so here we are. And you may be asking yourself, okay, here we are in the Gospel of John. Why all this about authority? Because this is what we see happening in the passage before us here in verses 8 through 11. This is about authority. And we know that that is the issue in the mind of Pilate because Jesus was accused of making himself to be a king. The Jews said he made himself out to be a king. Now here they are saying he has called himself or made himself out to be the son of God. This is authority. Another authority before Pilate. One who would come against Caesar. And while this issue wasn't highlighted earlier, it's highlighted now. Notice what is happening. When Pilate therefore hears the accusation against Jesus in verse 7 that we covered last Lord's Day, He's even more afraid. He was afraid before because for various reasons. He was afraid before because his own political neck might have been on the line. He was afraid before because his wife had already told him in a dream that she had about Jesus to leave him alone. He's trying to clear himself of this whole moment. And now he hears that Jesus has claimed to be the Son of God. He's even more afraid now. He's fearful that maybe he has offended one of the many Roman gods. Romans being very superstitious people. But he also is fearful that this one standing in front of him may be a challenge to his authority. And he says to Jesus in verse 9, as he enters into the praetorium again, which is the residence of the governor, and he says to Jesus, not, what are you all about? Not, hey, what, what kind of kingdom is this? Hey, what kind of thing are they challenging with you know are you really a king he doesn't say any of that he says where are you from and i think that's an indication that Pilate is really afraid that he might have offended a roman god where are you from notice that jesus gives no answer says jesus gave him no answer verse 9 why why would jesus give no answer where are you from Well, I believe it's obvious to any willing observer. That's simply to say this, that Jesus has been on the scene for three years now. Jesus has been on the scene doing his ministry, starting out uh, in the north, coming down into Jerusalem time and time again. People have heard about it. His life is no secret. He has ministered to people in the temple grounds. The Jews have been in a stir ever since Jesus came the first time back in John chapter 2. The leadership of the Jewish community has been in an uproar about it. The Romans have been ruling for years. As all of this is going on, Pilate may not have been interested in Jesus. And all of the intrigue that he is apparently Causing among the Jews, Pilate may have had been indifferent to all of that, but he surely knew of Jesus. It was no secret. He knew where Jesus was from physically. He knew Jesus was a Nazarene. So this isn't a question of geography. This is a question of trying to figure out, are you really one 
of the gods. He knew what Jesus' claims were. He knew of the things that he had done that proved where he was really from. Jesus didn't need to say anything. It was obvious. The evidence was overwhelming. And so Jesus gives no answer. And because of this, Pilate begins to rebuke Jesus concerning authority. Verse 10, he says, You don't speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and I have authority to crucify you? This is almost like a movie line. You don't speak to me? Do you know who I am? Who do you think you are? You're not going to talk to me? And Jesus answers him. You would have no authority over me unless it had been given to you by, from above. For this reason, he who has delivered me up to you has greater sin. And this is what I want us to focus on tonight. Because that's where Jesus focuses. The issue of authority is the focus. And it highlights not just two different realms of authority, but also their relationship to each other and the imperative to use it rightly. And not only to use it rightly, but the imperative and the example we see in Jesus to respond to it rightly. In other words, the authority of the government is a delegated authority. In fact, all human authority is a delegated authority. You notice the very simple principle in the words of Jesus to Pilate in verse 11. You would have no authority over me unless it had been given you from above. That is a delegated authority. It's not just you, Pilate, who has that authority been given to you, but all authority. This is an overarching principle for all authority. All authority has been a delegated authority. It is a given authority. That means that the only legitimate authority is authority that comes from God. Some of you might have in your versions the Bible, the word power, power. You would have no power over me unless it had been given to you from above. Power is an interesting word. It's normally the translation of the original word in the original language, dunamis. Dunamis is where we get our word dynamic. Dynamic. Some people try to tell you dunamis is where we get our word dynamite. And while dynamite is very explosive and they say this is explosive power, that's not really what it means. Dunamis is dynamic was used by Paul back in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16 when we were studying that in our morning time where you hear Paul say that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. That's the word dunamis. In other words, the gospel is the dynamic that, is, that God uses to transform those who believe. That's what God uses. The, the power of God. The gospel is the dynamic of God to, to bring salvation about in those who believe. 
But there's another word in the New Testament that is often translated power, and that is kratos. Kratos. Kratos is more the idea of power by strength, power by by the exercise of some kind of strength, the power of one army over another army. And if Jesus was using either of those words, then he would simply be saying to Pilate that the power and the ability to rule over others comes from God, that power of that strength of authority, that power uh, comes from God. And while that's ultimately true, that, that, that power does come from God, you don't trust in horses or men, we're told in the Scripture, you trust in the Lord your God. So power does come from God because God is sovereign over all things. But neither of those words are the words Jesus uses here. The word here is another word that carries a whole lot more weight, I believe, and that's the word exousia, exousia. You would have no exousia over me unless it had been given to you from above. Exousia carries the idea of legitimacy, legitimate authority. You would have no legitimate authority, legitimate rule over me unless it had been given to you from above. So what is Jesus actually saying then to Pilate? What is he saying? Well, he's not simply acknowledging the power of Pilate in his rule. That Pilate, you have power, you have, you have some kind of strength over me. He's not acknowledging that. More so, he's reminding Pilate and all of us that legitimate authority is divinely appointed. You would have no authority at all except the fact that the legitimate authority comes from God above. And therefore, there is a massive responsibility, since it comes from God, there is a massive responsibility of both the one who is in authority and those under the authority before God in light of the fact that it is God's authority. You understand what we're saying? If all authority has been given by God, then the one who it has been given to, as well as those who are under that authority, have a responsibility to rightly respond with that authority and to that authority because it is under the ultimate authority. It is God's authority. In other words, we have to think of it in these terms. Jesus is not simply recognizing the fact of Pilate's rule, He isn't even simply reminding Pilate that the source of his rule is to be found in God in a simple fashion, but rather that because God has given him this authority, because it is legitimate authority that comes from God, therefore it is to be both respected by those who have it and respected by those who are under it. It is to be used rightly and it is to be respected rightly. Notice that Jesus respected the authority of Pilate. This is shocking to me. Here is the Lord of glory, the one who could have called a myriad of angels come down and help him. And the Lord of glory responds respectfully to the authority of Pilate. He doesn't answer him at the one time. And he only tells him, 
what is true and right. Never is it once suggested here that Jesus ever questioned Pilate's place as the one questioning him. Jesus never says to Pilate, what right do you have to question me? You're a nobody. Jesus never says anything like that. In fact, Jesus never thinks anything like that. He never was civilly disobedient to Pilate's rule. Does that sound strange? Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, under a tyrannical rulership under the Roman government, one who is unjustly being accused, unjustly standing trial, unjustly about here in a few short sentences to be delivered up to be crucified. Here is Jesus who does not respond in any kind of civil disobedience to the rule of Pilate. The text here never indicates that Pilate had no authority to pronounce judgment against Jesus. It never says that. He had every right. Pilate was the Roman proconsul. He was the Roman governor. He had every right to pronounce judgment over a criminal. We know, we know from our own study, we know from history that his judgment is wrong, but he had the authority to give it. The legitimate authority to give it, and Jesus acknowledges that. Why? Because authority comes from God. And so here is Jesus, the Son of God, God in the flesh, the one who had come from glory to earth, condescending to us, the one who entered this sinful place, the one who will, in the end, after he rises from the dead, say to his disciples, all authority has been given to me. This is Jesus. And yet we don't find him even suggesting that Pilate's power be removed because his judgment is so wrong. And I find an example in that, an example and a precept as well. We are taught by Jesus' example and precept that speaking against and trying to unseat people in authority simply because we don't like them or because they make wrong judgments is anti-Christ-like. We may not like that. We may not like the hearing of that. They may not sound to our ears to be justified. But here is Jesus Christ showing us by example that we are not to try to pronounce it wrong even though it is eternally wrong. In fact, as we will see in Romans chapter 13, we are to honor, we are to respect, and we are to be thankful for those who are in authority over us. That, my friends, is difficult at best, is it not? Honor, respect, thankful. That's what Jesus is doing. So that is one lesson we see here. Honor authority. Because it's from God. There's another principle that we see in action as Jesus is responding, and that is this we are to be subject to the higher authorities. 
We are to be subject to the higher authorities. Why? Because we're subject to God. Jesus says, you would have no authority over me unless it had been given you from above. Jesus says, I'm subjecting myself to you simply because your legitimate authority has been given to you by the one whom I come under all the time. If you want to see how it is that we are to be as citizens within our own country, then all we need to do is look at what kind of citizen Jesus was in his own country. Here's the ultimate example to us. He subjected himself to those who are in authority over him. Let's say that again. Jesus Christ subjected himself to those who are in authority over him. This is where a subjection comes from. We know who the authority has been given by, and yet there's a responsibility upon us to respond to the authority over us by means of us subjecting ourselves to it. Why? Because it's been given from above. It means from the Father, from God. Jesus always entrusted himself to the one who judges righteously. Jesus always entrusted himself to the one who judges righteously, even even if that meant that in the moment he was being judged unrighteously. Did you hear what we're saying? Jesus always subjected himself to the one who judges righteously, i.e. God the Father, even in the moment when he's being unjustly judged. We love to live in circumstances. And yet Jesus says it's not about your circumstances, it's about who you're following. It's about who you're submitting yourself to ultimately. You see, beloved, we as Christians are to be the model citizens. We are to be the model citizens. And yet, unfortunately, what we see oftentimes and what we find today is that those who call themselves Christians are those who often, most often, are disrespectful to authority. It really doesn't matter what the authority is. It doesn't matter if it's the government authorities. It doesn't matter if it's the local law enforcement authorities. It doesn't matter if it's the church authorities. It doesn't matter in the home for you kids who live at home. If it's your parental authority over you, this ought not be. Now, I think I know what's going on in our minds as that very thing is being said, that we are to subject ourselves to the authorities over us. I think what's going on, we, we go, okay, pastor, that's true. But is there a limit of our subjection to authority? Is there a limit to how far we go in subjecting ourselves to the authority? And I understand the responsibility inherent with authority. That's what we're saying. I understand I have a responsibility to the authority, the inherent reality of legitimate authority given by God. I know that flows both ways. There's a responsibility that flows both ways. They're responsible to, to use the authority rightly because it's been given by God. Even if they're not Christians, it's been given by God. They have responsibility before God, even if they refuse to acknowledge that. And we, 
who are under that have a responsibility to subject to the authority. But how far does that go? Is there a limit? What about when the one or the people in authority are corrupt? What about when they act wickedly? Well, the simple answer to that is that there are limits to our subjection to those in authority. But we must remember that even within those limits, there are potential consequences that God may allow as mitigated by God. For example, we are commanded to preach the gospel, aren't we? We know it's clear in the scriptures that we are to preach the gospel. This is a Christian duty. It is a duty of obedience. It is commanded by God. We obey God to the direct command of Christ to go and preach the gospel. Matthew 28, 19-20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. That's a, that's a command of Jesus Christ to all Christians, preach the gospel. So it's clear, it's clear from just that passage alone that we have an unalterable mandate to share the gospel. So what happens then if those in authority say that we can no longer preach the gospel? Right In this church, we, we, we give the easy answer. We say, well, I have to preach the gospel. We actually have an example for us in Acts chapter 4 and 5. Right? The disciples are going about preaching the gospel. The church began in Acts chapter 2. Now here we are in Acts chapter 4 and 5. They're going about preaching the gospel. And it's creating quite an uproar. It's creating quite a stir among the people. And the Jewish authorities are having trouble with what is happening. And they bring Peter and John in. And they begin to question them concerning what they're doing. And they command them. They say to them, here's the command from us. Here's what we're going to tell you you cannot do. They say, do not speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Stop preaching the gospel. Here's how Peter and John answer. Judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. They're not even saying, listen, we're not going to listen to you. You're a bunch of nonsense. All they're saying is we recognize your authority. We recognize that you're in a place of authoritative reality over all things. Except here's something we cannot not do. This is an unalterable mandate that we must do. And even though the Jewish leaders further warn them not to speak about Jesus, what do they do? They go about preaching the gospel. In other words, they disobey the authority over them. The God-given authority over them. Peter said, it's recorded in Acts 5, we must obey God rather than men. See, and I think right there that puts a great deal of responsibility on both the authority and those under the authority because each will answer to God. The authority needed to be doing the right thing even though they were corrupt in doing what they were doing. And yet the, those under them were going to answer to God in the same way. 
So the second part of Jesus' answer here in John chapter 19, verse 11, is a very important part for us to hear. The first part, Jesus says, you would have no authority over me unless it had been given to you from above. You need to understand, Pilate, where your authority comes from. You may be a legitimate authority that God has placed over me, but you have a responsibility. You too will stand before God. And then the second part, he says, for this reason, he who delivered me up to you has the greater sin. Pilate, your authority is a delegated authority. You have to understand it comes from God above. Even though you're a pagan man, you don't understand where anything comes from. You need to understand this, that you are under God's authority and you must respond rightly to that. You will answer to God for that. It's a delegated authority. You have delegated authority, but you do not have power. You have a responsibility. You have legitimate authority, and with that legitimate authority comes a responsibility, but not power. You have a responsibility to execute your authority without wrongdoing. You have a responsibility to execute your authority, your responsibility to those whom God has placed unto you without treating them and doing it wrongly. You notice that we have a warning here because Jesus, who is the ultimate judge of the universe, He could have easily just said to Pilate, and you know what? You're sinning in this, Pilate. The failure of you to exercise your authority rightly is a sin, Pilate. It's a failure of you to exercise your responsibility rightly. And of course, we know in just a few short sentences, like I said, he's going to violate his own conscience and he's going to turn over Jesus to the Jews to be crucified wrongly. Verse 16, so he delivers him to be crucified. That's a huge sin. Pilate had the responsibility given to him by God in order to exercise his authority with responsibility, and Pilate fails. He sins in doing that. And yet, Jesus says, but there's a greater sin. The one who delivered me up to you has the greater sin. So listen, this is the important point for us to just kind of tie this up on tonight. Pilate's sin was great. He knew that Jesus was an innocent man. He declared it several times. He knew that. And against his divinely given authoritative responsibility, he turns him over to be crucified. That is a great sin. But the sin of the religious leaders was greater. Why? Because they were willful. They were sinning out of a heart that actually hated God's rule over them. Jesus was informing Pilate of where his authority came from. They knew where theirs came from. Here's the principle. Those of us who know to do right and do not is greater sin. It's greater sin. Non-Christian sin out of ignorance and cowardice, just like Pilate. But those who claim to be part of the Christian community, they sin out of arrogance and pride. 
When you and I sin, it's prideful arrogance. We, say, we are saying to God, you're not going to rule me. I'm not acknowledging your legitimate rule. And actually, it's a hatred of God and His authority. The hatred of God and His authority. This Jesus did not do. So here's what I'm asking of us tonight. Let's each one of us take a look at ourselves. Take a look at our lives and the truth and the authority of God that we affirm, that we profess to believe. Let each one of us look at that. Because it's not enough to have the name Christian attached to us. It's not enough to just have that. Others will know that we are Christians by our obedience to Christ. By our obedience and subjection to His authority over us. Even, even when it's mitigated through the sinful actions of others over us. They're watching us. And as we rightly submit without violating the clear commands of Scripture, by coming under the authority that God has placed over us, even when it's wicked, God is honored. And people see Christ in us. So let us obey God rather than men. But let's ensure that we are obeying God. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for our time tonight. Just this short look at what Jesus is doing in his response to the wickedness of men whom you have placed him under. Unfathomable. And that you would allow that to happen so that we might be saved. That you would allow your son to endure such hostility from men so that the men who were pouring out the hostility, would know that you're a God of mercy and grace. And so here we are, Lord. We sit here tonight and we see the reality of your authority on display, on display in Pilate, on display in the Jewish leadership. And we see it on display even in our own world through many, many areas. Lord, may we have the heart of Christ the heart to submit even when it's corrupt. Certainly we have been given by privilege in this country to do what we can to seek out those who would create righteous rules and laws for society, but we know that morality in this country will never be legislated. So help us simply to trust you, to follow after you, to willingly submit ourselves to you as we submit to those in authority over us, even when they fail. Thank you for these things tonight, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.